Hello and welcome to the Penultimate Boss Podcast episode of 2021. I am your host Kirk Bailey and this week as I rummage through the golden nuggets of talks from the archives it is with great pleasure to bring you one of my favourite topics, copywriting. The Business of Software podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. The words you commit to on your website and in your emails is the front door to your business. So you better make sure it's doing its job. In this talk at BossConf USA, Joanna Weeb looks back to some old school copywriters for tips to use to help your SaaS stand out, including the seven sweeps you should give your copy before you ship it. Happy listening. Of course, you want to talk about this, words and things like that. You might not write copy as part of your job, but chances are really good that you review copy. As part of your job, you're involved in it. I was watching everybody on their laptops, and most of you have like a document open. You know you work with words all the time. So what can we do to make those words better, especially in a world where we keep hearing that nobody reads online? Like that's like the prevailing wisdom right now. If you're gonna write something, make sure you edit it down because nobody reads online which is crazy. We do read online. Things change. People change. Web makes us busier. Mobile makes us even busier, etc. But people are still the same. And we still make decisions in largely the same ways. So I'm going to share with you some really old school copywriting techniques that still work today. So when all you hear is, oh, nobody reads online, you can kind of combat it with some of this stuff. I'm going to start with, has anybody seen this before? Not tilted on its side necessarily, but yes, a few people have. It is quite bright out here. Okay, um, this is possibly, in the world of copywriting and advertising, this is like the most famous one. So this is an ad that was written in 1924 by a gentleman named John Caples. John Caples was a brand new copywriter. He used to be an engineer, but he didn't really like that. Uh, he was in the Navy, didn't really like that either, but liked writing and thought there might be something to this copywriting thing. So he took a class at Columbia, a night class, and decided to be a copywriter. He went and worked for a direct mail company, and direct mail is making a little comeback with software, so pay attention. Um, but he went and worked with this direct mail agency, and he wrote this ad and published in magazines, and it, it got huge. It sold really well for one, but it became kind of part of popular culture, like vaudeville comedians would make fun of it, and it just became part of what people talked about when they talked about advertising. They laughed when I sat down at the piano, but when I started to play. So John Caples, former engineer, puts this out there, gets awesome reactions, his boss is super happy, he's getting lots of other jobs. He comes from a well-to-do New York family. So he goes home at like Thanksgiving and he brings his book with him with like all these cool ads that he's written that are doing so well. He's getting promoted, everything's awesome. He's got a doctor for a dad. His mom is like a society lady. And so he goes and he sits down with his mom and he shows her this book. And they're flipping through and she's reading his ads word for word. And by the end of it, she closes the book and she looks at him and says, you'd better not let your father see this. Which I think is so perfect, 
for how we have to think about writing copy that's actually gonna make a difference. Anybody who cares about you reducing your risk should not review your copy. Anybody who wants you to stay really safe and like impress their high society friends or anybody else uh, should not be reviewing your copy. Anything that feels safe that your mom would be like, well done, sweetie, that shouldn't actually make its way in front of customers. If it feels safe, scrap it, period. That's like the starting point for all better copy immediately. If it feels safe, just get rid of it, which is hard, but I'm gonna show you some examples that might make it a little easier, hopefully. Okay, basic idea here is, of course, that we're talking about old school copywriting. Um, but what you might have heard about old school copywriting probably came from David Ogilvy. I'm sure has everybody seen this quote before in your marketing lives? Like, oh, it's constant. Maybe, I mean, I'm a copywriter, I've been doing this a long time, so for me it's like super overwhelming to hear it, but we're not gonna talk about this today, we're not gonna say your headline needs to be better. Yeah, obviously your headline is an important thing. We're also not gonna talk about the myth of the creative copywriter where you get what is it, write drunk, edit sober? Like that's not gonna happen today, that's crap, right? We all know that's just like a great way to not do any work for the day. So it's not gonna talk about that either. We're gonna talk about copy not as some sort of expression of creativity or something where you get to like, I'm sorry to say this, but it's not gonna go to that creative brand expression place. If you want that, go to somebody else, I will never have that story to tell you about how being super creative sold way better. I don't believe that, I believe copy is your online salesperson, believe that is what it exists to do, is to move people to say yes, and if it's not doing that, it has to work harder, you just get rid of it and start again. Copy is your online salesperson. If you want to be creative, go ahead, write a poem, get a dirty limerick, like print it out or something, get it out of your system, and then let's get down to work really making our words get people to say yes, okay? So the job, and I'm gonna quote a bunch of old school copywriters throughout this, Claude Hopkins, another one from the 1920s, the only purpose, the only thing you should really be measuring your copy by is whether it's getting those sales, which is hard to do, and we, I don't like doing it all the time except when it works, um, but that is the actual purpose of it. Now, like to kind of give you a brief break before we get into full 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s mode, to bring this up to how we might talk about it today, some BOS appropriate rewrite of some lyrics, um, but it's all about actually making money with really smart decisions, not talking about artistry. I will not talk about the art behind copywriting. Let's talk about the science. Let's treat it like reverse engineering a bridge. Let's treat it the way we're supposed to treat it. We're gonna talk about Gene Schwartz, John Caples, Claude Hopkins. These are all very smart, sadly deceased white gentlemen who did really good things for copywriting. And now we're doing really cool things too, um, sadly without them. Uh, caveat here before I really dive in, not everything that worked in the 20s, 30s, and 40s is going to fly today. It's not all gonna work out for the best, we're gonna have really strong reactions to some of the things that you see, so only work with what I share with you today. Okay, we don't want that, we don't need that, so. Because it's end of day, four really quick hits for you. Really quick things, you can go and you can instantly apply them. People have given you great strategies, lots of stuff to think about. I'm gonna give you a little strategy too, but tactics, 
I mean, copywriting is execution, right? We're actually down on the page, getting words out, publishing them for customers. So the first one, ask good questions. Okay, what is a good question? In journalism, a good question is not a leading question. In copywriting, a leading question is a wonderful thing. We want people to agree with us as we go. Good questions are questions where we know the answer that the customer or prospect is going to give and we set them up for it. If we put a question in front of them that we want, let's say yes, no question, and we want them to answer yes, but they answer no in their heads, that is a bad question. And this is important because a lot of people kind of default to using questions when they're writing copy and they just think, oh, a question is a good thing but you have to be really careful about like, making sure the answer that follows is the one you want. So an example, um, I'm gonna give a couple, I know Chris from Wistia is here and he's like, can you stop talking about this case study? But I love this case study, so I'm going to keep talking about it at least today, at least this will probably be the last time. Um, maybe not, but okay. So we worked with Wistia on this um, email sequence, eight emails in their onboarding sequence that comes at a certain part in it, it's triggered by stuff. Um, so this is the control. I don't expect you to be able to read it. I'll read out the important stuff to you. It's very small on my screen too, by the way, just to be clear. Um, so the control and variation B. Now we're talking about asking good questions. So I'm going to read this to you. You can tell me if you think the question is a good one. Okay. Your video is live. Let's see how it's doing. Party time. Your video is live. Ready to dive into some data? Now I am a marketer or something like that, probably, on my phone walking from one meeting to the next meeting, or I'm at my computer and I randomly clicked into my inbox because I'm distracted and I don't manage my time well. I go in and I read this, ready to dive into some data. Is that a good question? Or how might I answer that? What are the Who would answer that? Yes, right now. Who's ready to dive into some data? Yeah, of course, okay, good. <laughs> Very good for Wistia. <laughs> Sorry. Damn you, Chris. <laughs> okay, so that's the question. Not the perfect phrasing of what otherwise might be a good question, even for Chris. Um, so we rewrote, so it's, it's, this is the rewrite, the side-by-side -side that we did. It's not an exact rewrite of that question, but here's what a good question or a couple of them look like. And questions can be really good. Almost the whole like first third of this email that we rewrote is a bunch of questions. So we go, good news, first name, people are watching your video. Fantastic, right? Now here's a question. How can you put your new video data to work for you? Okay, so we have two questions in there. One is a yes, no, the other is just like an answer this question, long form kind of thing. Fantastic, right, is a yes, no. You could answer no to that. You could say, it's not fantastic that people are watching my video, but if you answered that, would you be a good prospect for Wistia? Do you not want people watching your video? Why are you gonna host the videos if not to watch the videos? So if you answer no to that, too bad. We're gonna move on from there and then ask a bigger question that doesn't have an easy, obvious answer that actually gets your prospect thinking so that they do what old school copywriters do, which is get you to read the next line. Keep reading, keep reading, keep reading down the page. That is better question. The new variation was part of a sequence that I say sold better. I used to put the numbers in here, but it gets very distracting. It sold much better, paid conversions better there. So that's quick hit number one. Number two is the hardest one for most people to really get through, but it is writing for readers. Write like people read because they 
actually still do. I'm going to show you again another. This is the last time I'm going to show with your email. But here's the control, a very short bit of body copy. Very quick, most people would be thrilled with this copy. And Wistia's like amazing marketers. It's still good copy. It's just so short. It's trying very hard not to be noticed. It's acting like people don't read. So let's just get them to read a little bit and then we'll do something else afterwards because they don't like reading. So we rewrote all of them and all eight of the emails that we rewrote were two to three times longer, sometimes five times longer than the control. People do read copy. They will read it and think about your actual prospect. The people that you can convert and who should be moving on something today, they are likely to read if you give them something to read. And that's what this whole talk is going to be about, by the way. Um, so this one, of course, is part of that same sequence that sold better. Going long, don't go through and edit out all of the great words that are actually convincing in the copy that you're writing. And of course, this made Andrew Wistia very uncomfortable, right? That he said, he wrote it to me in the email, that's more copy than we're used to. So of course we tested it and then we got really good results. Number three, take the cap off the Coke. Has anybody seen, has anybody watched Mad Men or watched it when it was on in the glory days? A few of us, okay, good. Good, okay, more, okay, good. Um, so there's this episode where Betty, wonderful Betty, gets a job on a Coke commercial and well, the director comes along and she's holding the Coke and he pops the cap off the Coke. And that's an important moment for us as people who are trying to get other people to believe that life is gonna get better when they use our product. It's removing that sense that anything is going to stand between you and this great outcome. So don't be too forthcoming and you can be far too forthcoming in your copy and this is something to be like really just aware of as you're going through. So here's an example of how we, we really messed up once. So on the control here, the A, bunch of text links. Download this product. It was with MetaGeek that we were doing this test. Text links were like, we can beat text links. Like you can do anything and do better than text links. So like, okay, what are the two products we actually want to get people to download on here? We choose those two. We put really juicy buttons on the page and we put like really like clear copy around them. So we have the home version, that's the top button, and then the for office version, which has a five-day free trial. And then below it, it says, after trial, one payment of $1.99. Why would we say that? Why did we tell them that stuff? I don't know why we told them that. We got far fewer clicks, 6% fewer clicks, with big, juicy buttons. We were like being super forthcoming. Like, oh, they'll know it's only a five-day trial. Why do they need to know it's only a five-day trial? They don't need to know that yet. Take the cap off the Coke. Make it really easy for them to get from where they are to the next step where you want them to be. And finally, for the quick hits, put your headline and your button copy in the first person. This is super tactical. This is like open up WordPress right now, <laughs> go into your page and just change all of your button and headline copy to be in the first person. What does that mean? Okay, here is an example of doing exactly that. I'm going to talk more about this one throughout this talk, um, but this is just an example of the headline. So variation A, control sweat stop embarrassment is the headline. This is for a solution called sweat block. Um, it is for hyperhidrosis, people who sweat a lot. Um, so control sweat stop embarrassment, it's in the imperative. It's a pretty standard homepage headline. We're telling them to do something, it's got a benefit attached to it. Yay, that's good, right? That's what we're told we're supposed to do. We put it in the first person, 
It doesn't even have to be hot out. My armpits are always wet. Now there's a lot going on here and I will talk more about this, but the big change here is that indeed it is in the first person with quotation marks around it and everything. That's super old school. If you do that, that is old school copywriting done like really well, test it today. We got more sales with this one as well. So this one did better. For buttons also going in, you can't see this at all, can you? It's so tiny. But that's because they're buttons and I took little screenshots of them. Um, so on the left is try schedulicity free, on the right is end my scheduling hassles. It's in the first person. Importantly, it's also more of a call to value. So as like a side bonus tip, when you're writing a button, except for when you get to like very bottom of funnel and you just wanna get people to like move forward with their credit card. The rest of the time, if you can complete the phrase, I want to blank, everything that follows in that blank becomes your button copy. So I want to try schedulicity free, mm. I want to end my scheduling hassles, kinda more. 24% more clicks on that one. We tested this with Crazy Egg as well. Their control was actually the winner here. Show me my heat map versus get started for free. 13% more clicks on that, on that original button that kicked our butt. So those are your four quick hits. Now let's get into some bigger ideas to shape your copy, okay? You've been rewarded for staying so long, for being here talking about words at end of day, um, and now we're gonna get into some of the bigger stuff. Okay, the first one, when we're talking about writing copy that converts, we're trying to get people to say yes with our words. The first thing to do to write better copy is not to write copy at all. We'll just like throw that, just stop. Just stop trying to write copy. Stop trying to write copy at all. And this is kind of counterintuitive, but like stay with me because what happens when you write? Okay, we've all been writing since we were like kindergarten or earlier, most of us have at least been writing since that time. You've got at least 12 years of school where you're being judged on your writing. So you have all these feelings attached to your writing. When you sit down to write copy, you're thinking of writing in ways that are actually not gonna be very productive. And then we romanticize writing as well, right? We think it's something that you do, like the muse visits you, and you like have this incredible idea come over you, and you put it down on the page, and it's like genius, and if that doesn't happen, you just keep trying again. So we do this thing where it's like, you go off and you find this quiet place to write, right? Because that's what you do when you write. And you need to be alone with your thoughts, obviously. It's the only way to write. But somehow, genius doesn't strike when you're sitting alone with your thoughts. You're staring at it, you're typing, you're trying to get something out there. It turns out that the copy in your head sucks, like it's not meant to be ever. It was never meant to be, so you go find something to distract yourself with. This is the typical writing process, not that productive, not that helpful for us. Don't write copy. Don't write copy at all. Don't write and don't write copy. Instead, I want you to think about just holding up a mirror, not to yourself, just hold up a mirror outwards. That's it, our job is to hold up a mirror. Now things change a little bit. Okay, we're gonna use words. The mirror is gonna be built out of words and visuals on the page. But we're actually not going to think about writing copy. Now to do this, you have to of course stop writing, which I'm gonna talk about. You have to then understand that the thing on the page is the customer, 
the thing on the page is not the product, it's the customer. You're writing the customer on the page. Then you have to, of course, know the customer to make that possible, right? In order to show him or herself on the page, you have to know them very well. And of course, you have to be comfortable standing behind the mirror where you're not the center, and that means not just you, that means every single person who reviews copy in your organization. Everybody has to get on board with the idea of standing behind the mirror and letting the person see themselves on the page. Okay, how do we do that? <laughs> That's the big thing, but the real challenge here is remembering that the product is not the product. The product is not at all the product. Very obvious example, the product it's never the product. It's not the thing that's being created. The customer is the product. This is very old school copywriting. The customer is the product. You're creating a customer with your words. You are not selling a product. That changes things for us. It changes things quite a lot. We have to think of things differently. And we actually get to think of things differently in the idea of creating this customer on the page. Okay. But how do you know what's going in the mirror, right? Like, how do you know what to reflect back at your prospect, this person coming to your page that you just honestly can't possibly know that well? You might have a ton of traffic coming to a page. How do you know what to put on the page? And to answer that, who better, obviously, than Mr. Rogers to answer life's hardest questions? Mr. Rogers was a very good man, wore sweaters that his mom knit for him his whole life. Those were his mom, like his mom knit those for I think that's amazing or creepy, but possibly just amazing. <laughs> Going with amazing, I have to. Mr. Rogers wrote songs. And here is one of the songs, some of the lyrics. Do you, anybody recognize this? Yeah, right? Mr. Rogers, we need him now. Uh, what do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite? Mr. Rogers' job was to create songs and worlds and ideas for kids. Now, if we were going to sit around and write a song for kids, what would we do? What would we do? We'd start thinking maybe, well, what do kids like? What do kids need to know? Well, kids like, my kids like, I don't know, candy and sugar. They like cats. We could write a song about a cat that gets into some candy. Right? We would go down this like kind of, and that's not that we all would, but a lot of people would default to making these random decisions about what our audience is actually interested in. Even when we think we've been listening, we've been paying attention. I looked at kids. They really like candy. I've watched. I observed. It's a true thing. Mr. Rogers just listened. That opening line, what do you do with the mad that you feel, that came from a child, directly from a child. He swiped it. He was swiping copy with the best of us, right? He was like going out and just finding that message and putting it down on the page. The mad that you feel. That language, the mad, it's an adjective turned into a noun in a way only a child at that point would do. What do you do with the mad that you feel? You have to listen to get to that language, and that's how it resonates. That's how people who heard it before still know it today. It spoke to them as kids. Okay. How do we listen? We all know, I've talked about this before when I was on Business of Software stage last time, um, we've all heard we're serving customers, we're interviewing customers, that's where you get product ideas, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we go out and we listen, but what if you actually have to write an email that's due tomorrow, you gotta get this thing out for some promotion that's ending, someone wrote it for you, it was 
tragic, clearly wasn't listening to the prospect. What do we do? Here is the fastest and cheapest and easiest, all three in one, the fastest, easiest, and cheapest way to go find your message, to go listen to prospects. It's really straightforward. I do talk about it a lot, but people still don't do it, so I have to keep saying it. Go to Amazon.com or any review site out there, any site that has reviews on it, and you look for products that your prospect would or has hired to do the job your product is supposed to do. So oftentimes that's a book, right? If you are selling software of some sort for bicycle repairs, or bicycle repair shop management software, let's say. If there's a DIY guide to bicycle repair shop management, search that on Amazon, find the book, open up the reviews in separate tabs. That is what you do. You're going to just go and listen to what people say about what they felt, what they thought, what they hoped when they went into buying the product, what they actually realized, the challenges that came up along the way. You're just gonna go and look for those reviews and listen for that really sticky copy. And sticky copy is anything that you, that really makes you stop. So marketers, new school marketers, are often looking for the most polished sounding phrases. When it sounds like save time and money, they're like, oh God, that's perfect. That's exactly what we needed, save time and money. Um, and the rest of us are like, I, noise, I didn't even get any of that. So we wanna look for things that make you stop. What do you do with the mad that you feel? Things that make you stop, you don't rewrite them. You just capture them, you take them, and then you organize them on the page in an assembly sort of process. We're not writing here. So far, we haven't written a word. We've just gone out and we've listened, and now we're gonna take what we found and we're going to put it down on the page. Because copy is not written. Copy is fully assembled. That's it, that is old school thinking about copywriting. As Soon as you start writing it, you've gone too far. Step back, listen, and assemble what you hear from people. Okay. This requires that you listen hard and know a good amount about that specific audience that you have, that specific person. There's kind of this like idea that we're writing for an average visitor a lot of the time. Like you get stats about the average visitor only spends five seconds on your site, things like that. That's a very distracting thing. We're never, there's no such thing as an average person. How is there an average visitor? We're not going to write for an average person, and that is a big leap as well. We're gonna write for that specific person. That's our job, that is fully our job. Our copy needs to single the reader out like a man being paged in a crowded hotel lobby. That's, that's what it has to get to, that's the point that we're aiming for. Most of us have not got there yet, I'd put money, I was just gonna say big money, but then I totally stopped myself. I'd put good money on most of us not being there yet. But we can get there. Now with that, it's time for 30 minutes and it's time for our poem break. Of course, it's time. So, roses are red. Have you guys heard this one before? Roses are red. Violets are blue, donate to a teacher with the same name as you. Anybody have an idea who might have done this? 
This is body copy for an email sent out by donors choose on Valentine's Day. This is the body copy. This is, this is what you saw, except for the picture of Peggy making out with her boss. Uh, roses are red, violets are blue. Donate to a teacher with the same name as you. My name is Joanna Weeb. This is Mr. Weeb. Mr. Weeb is a French teacher. He has French novels for his junior high students. He needs $68 more to close this project out. Joanna, you guys have the same name. You should donate to Mr. Weeb. Doesn't matter if I care about French, if I care about novels, if I care about junior high school students, hopefully we care about all those things, but doesn't matter if I've ever donated to that before, all that mattered was that there was a name match. The results, they were three times more likely to give to a project when you got this email, give three times as much, and it reactivated lapsed donors. I didn't work on this, this I heard this on NPR and then I went and studied it. What's going on there? How can just a, a match, my name, seeing my name on the page, how could that be so important? And I'm not talking about personalization as some, like, personalized personalization as some sort of, like, silver bullet in any way. But the question is, does your reader feel like they're being singled out, like this message is for them? And look at the things that can happen when they see something as superficial and kind of not that meaningful, although there's meaning in it, as just seeing their name on the page. Can your prospect actually see herself on your page? We want her to. Don't write copy, hold up that mirror. Secondly, second bigger idea here to shape your copy is to use formulas. Formulas are very, very good safe things. They're wonderful things. You can use formulas or frameworks is another way to look at it for ads. You can use them for layouts. You can use them for elements on the page like your headline, your button copy. I already gave you a formula for button copy. You can use them for all the things. You should use them for all the things. So we're going to talk about formulas for layouts in particular. So when you are organizing your messages on the page, how do you organize them? What would happen? So let's say you went out and you did a bunch of listening. You did some surveys, you did this voice of customer data analysis, you've got Amazon review mining, all like you've got all of this stuff to work with. How do you organize it on the page? You just start putting it down? That's problematic. That's us thinking that it's actually on us to write copy. It's not. Find a formula, and I'm going to give you, you only need one formula your whole life, and it works for everything. This is my favorite most time-saving, always-performing formula, problem, agitation, solution. Requires that you open with the problem, then you agitate the problem until they really feel the problem, and then you solve it, and your product is inside that solution. And why I love this one so much, even though this idea of like leading with a problem can be hard for some people because it sounds like, oh, you're leading with something negative. We want to lead with like the great outcome that they've got. But the best ads, the best messages, everything is really buried inside the problem itself. It's, we've only talked about problems here at Business of Software, about like find the problem and solve it. So why would we ever start a page with the solution when it's really the problem that's bringing people to our sites? It's always the problem. The problem is why I open up the email. It's all about the problem. Start with the problem. Start in your copy with the problem. 
Here is an example. You already saw the hero section for it, but this is a home page, the home page for SweatBlock that we tested against the control. I'm going to zoom in so you can see it. At the top is the problem, and I'll read some of this for you. So we've got the problem to open it up, which is it doesn't even have to be hot out. My armpits are always wet, which I already mentioned to you. Now, to be clear, this is building on what I just said about finding your message just by listening. So this, everything here in problem and agitation comes from Amazon review mining that we did because Sweatblock had like 4,500 reviews or something. So we could easily go in and look at those reviews and see what people were saying. Good problems, sticky language. So it doesn't even have to be hot out, my armpits are always wet, and then we agitate it. And this is the part that you are probably editing out when you're reviewing copy. And that's, that's the problem. We need to agitate it, really make people feel it. Agitation, this is, a, this is just a bullet list. This isn't even an elegant way to do agitation, but it's really listing out those things that people say they felt. They experienced real specific things to make them feel it. So, goes, if you suffer from excessive sweating, deodorant isn't enough. Okay, so deodorant isn't enough, we swipe that. Um, you've likely tried to hide your secret, but never wearing a light gray or light blue shirt, black is best. Swipe that. We swipe all of these. I won't say swipe that after every single thing I say. Um, wearing a sweat soaker undershirt, keeping a jacket or cardigan handy, tucking tissues inside your shirt and trying not to move too much. Um, Avoiding situations that could trigger nervous sweating, wearing sleeveless, colorless tops in the summer, um, and dabbing frequently, uh, like it goes on and on, and we just keep listing these things out. So if you are somebody who suffers from excessive sweating and you read this, do you think this, this might not be for me? Probably not for me. Or are you like, shit, yeah, that's exactly, I do that. I have a sweat soaker undershirt on right now. Like, are you thinking that exact thing? We have to have, of course, the courage to go forward with testing this kind of stuff. But only then do we get into the solution. The product appears way down here. You have to scroll like three times to get to the product on a home page. On a home page that has like the logo up at the top. And you have to go way down to get to the product. Of course, we tested that against a variation that had already beat the previous control. Uh, a had no formula, ours had the problem agitation solution formula, and as you saw, of course, it performed well. But just to be really clear, I've shared this, this before, um, and afterward, people come up and they go like, oh, you have to help us do this. We have to do this. We want to use problem agitation solution on our page. So I'm like, cool, let's do it. And then we do it, and we put it all together, and it's time to launch the test and nobody wants to launch the test. Like they're like, do we have to delay the product? Can we just like first open with the product and then get into problem and agitation and solution? Nobody likes doing this. If it's interesting to you, go with it. And just know that when you get to the point where it's time to launch that page or email or whatever it might be, you're going to feel weird about it and you have to try to push through that because we got really great results with this. I told you it sold better and that was selling 50%, uh, it was 50% paid lift on that one. So we want to use formulas. We don't want to start from scratch. We don't want to start with what's going on in our own heads. Even if we think, well, I am my prospect, which I don't think a lot of us always do think, but even if you do think that, still, still get out of your head, listen, use formulas, and organize in formulas. And John Caples, my favorite, said it very, very well. 
just like a physician uses the same prescription many times, and a civil engineer uses the same formulas again and again for building bridges, so too should we rely on formulas. Why would we guess at this? What made us think we were good at guessing at this stuff? We're not good. Even those who've done it for years know far better than to try to guess at it. Don't write copy. Start with a formula. And finally, edit in the awesome. Editing is the point at which the page gets great. So we take our initial, you know, first draft that we got, we've assembled that data on the page in our problem agitation solution framework, we're starting to merge stuff in there, then comes editing. And I've skipped right over writing, because just forget about writing. Like, we're really talking about stitching pieces of voice customer data together, and then we're going to go in and edit them to make it sound awesome. And you might think, okay, cool, like some of the writerly people, like me when I first started, I was like, editing, good, I get to look for split infinitives and I get to like remove misplaced dangling modifiers. All of those things are great and that is not the case in copywriting at all. Like there's no place for grammar at this point. It doesn't come down to proofreading, it doesn't come down to any of that. That doesn't, sadly, it doesn't matter. And this is again why writing copy is not like writing anything else. Don't think of it like writing anything else. Grammar doesn't matter. But when you are going through, there's so much I can say about editing that I've really narrowed it down <laughs> to just this one thing I wanna talk about which is going through and doing what we call the seven sweeps. This is like cool old school copywriter stuff. I love the seven sweeps. So how it goes is when you're going through, you sweep over your copy. You do it one at a time, right? So you start with the clarity sweep. You look at your copy and you go line by line, is it clear? Is this clear? Is what we're trying to say clear? You're not looking at anything but is it clear? Okay, that's always number one, that's always the most important thing is clarity. Then voice and tone. I know Chris said voice and tone came before clarity for him yesterday or something like that, a little bit. No? <laughs> I had a light memory of it. Okay, um, but there was voice and tone, which was, oh, tone was important for him, that's right. Um, and clarity is also good, so we've got the clarity sweep. Voice and tone sweep, so you go through to make sure that the tone is right, that you've got your voice, that it sounds like you, and a good way to think of voice versus tone, if you're like, well, what's the difference? Like your mom, think of your mom. You know your mom's voice, and you know when your mom's got tone. So that's a good way to separate voice and tone. We go through and we look for that. The so what sweep works with the prove it sweep. And this is where a lot of times we're all like, oh, where's the social proof? Like that's like some huge silver bullet or something. So what and prove it are kind of two parts of that where every, every message you put on the page should be followed with a so what. So you should answer so what. Like why does this matter to me as the prospect? And prove it. You don't get to just say it, you have to prove it. So that might be a testimonial, that might be a video that shows what you're actually saying happens. It could be um, a screenshot, things like that. But we wanna prove everything we're saying. Don't just take it at face value. Specificity is the next step to go through. Are you being specific? Are you actually saying something that comes to life on the page or are you being vague and summarized, which is problematic? The heightened emotion sweep, and then finally, the zero risk sweep. So that might sound like, shit, that's a lot of sweeps to have to do, but it actually works out really well. You just go through one by one. You don't end up 
muddling everything up where you're like worried about social proof, but then you're also worried about clarity, but oh wait, did we get specific? One by one and then work your way back up, make sure that it stays clear always at the top. This is also a good exercise if you have a big enough team reviewing copy and you want to control the review process, which is a good thing for the poor copywriter, trust me, um, assign each person one of the sweeps. So like you get clarity, you get voice and tone, you get so what, and they go through and they're only paying attention to that. That's a really good way to move through that editing process to get the copy where it needs to be. I wanna talk about this one in particular. Heightened emotion, it's low on the list, Sorry about that, but there's a lot of stuff that's not on this list too, but it is low. It is very important though, when we talk about old school copywriting, all the old school copywriters knew this. Emotion is huge. They laughed when I sat down at the piano, but when I started to play, that's emotional, right? Like you were like, everybody thought you were gonna make a fool of yourself and you have that anxiety, and then you're actually turned out to be Mr. Cool because you totally knew how to play the piano and that was awesome. Like that's fully feeling. That's all about the emotion. You cannot bore people into buying your product. You have to make people feel things. And now that doesn't mean that emotion is always edited in. Not at all. Sometimes emotion is the thing that drives the piece that you're writing. Anybody who read this, did anybody read this? This to our friends in Texas from New Orleans? Amazing, of course you did, Leanna, she's from New Orleans. Um, yeah, amazing, right? But it start, that starts with emotion. I strongly doubt that they edited the emotion in after this, it's a fully emotional piece. But for the rest of us, when we're not working in a world where everything is naturally emotional, we have to go back through and basically push emotion into our copy, make sure that when people are supposed to feel something, they really feel that thing. What are some emotions? Gary Benchavanga is actually a living copywriter. He's the only living copywriter I'm mentioning in here. Yep, um, so here are a bunch that he happily gives to us. So when I'm going through and I'm looking, like are we being emotional here? Go through and list out, okay, well, and it doesn't mean all of these will apply on the page. Let me just be totally clear for like, need for love does not always have to appear on the page. But there are these real things, this terror of facing the unknown. That's a scary thing, but are you trying to make people feel anything? This can help you get to that place where they do feel that thing. And you can actually say, let's just make them feel pride of achievement. Let's just make them feel that today. And that's something that you can actually work with. And of course, the more you listen to your customers, the more you know what that is that they want to feel. So you won't need a full list to go through, but it can be helpful. Now, the thing with emotion, and what I kind of want to end on a bit here, is the whole emotion thing, the starting with problem agitation solution, all of that stuff, can be really hard. I worked at Intuit for years, and I would write things where I tried to make people feel something. And the C-levels would review it, and at one point I wrote a long-form sales page that was um, uh, rejected but because it was fear-mongering. And I was like, come on, just because you felt fear doesn't mean that it's fear-mongering. We have to be careful not to look too hard at like aggressively editing out emotion. A lot of times we're going to start with emotion, we need emotion in there, um, but we also can't just rely on being, you know, 
the, the best product wins kind of thing. Like that's not necessarily the way it's ever going to go. Slack versus HipChat, we don't know which is the best product, but we know, sorry, which one is won so far at least. Um, it's not going to be when we're writing copy, when you're thinking about writing it, when you're editing it, when you're saying yes or no to whether we should move forward with something that you've written. This is an important quote to keep in mind. It's not going to be about building better mousetraps. The game-changing way to think about the copy you're writing is about building larger mice and then building a terrifying fear of them in your customers. <laughs> Nobody feels super happy telling their team this. Like It feels like that's the sketchy marketing we don't do, um, but it's actually the truth. It's what we're really here to do. It's not about being the better mousetrap. What can you do to help your customers feel that terrifying, sometimes fear, sometimes it just plain will be fear. It'll be like shame, humiliation, those kinds of things. You're gonna do it with empathy, always, for your prospect. You're gonna do it by listening to them. But can you push your copy out of that safe space that Dr. Caples would be very proud to see his son publish toward that space that makes people actually react and do something and actually probably say yes, or at least keep reading until you can get them to the place where they say yes. Important, very important to us is that as many as 60% of sales are not lost to the competition. They're lost to no decision at all. We're just not saying anything to move people to do anything at all. And that's kind of a big deal. That's all a copy exists to do. It's there to move people to say yes. Our job is to be ballsy enough to go forward with it and actually try to do that, even if they don't necessarily say yes to us. Even when we hear, we get emails that say, you are selling too hard. All those kinds of things, it's all part of writing copy in that old school copywriting way, not the safer way that came in the 80s, the old school way. Don't write copy, use formulas. And then edit in the awesome, this is not a lazy man's field. This is not lazy work, but there is nobody here who is lazy. I am positive of it. You wouldn't be in this business if you were lazy, I'm sure of it. So good luck with that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.